well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Nehemiah. You've got uh, the one and two books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And then you've got the book of Ezra. And then you've got the book of Nehemiah. So <laughs> make your way there this morning. This will be the second message in this series that we have titled Revive, Rebuild, and Renew. Last week we talked about the need occasionally, especially at the beginning of a new year, uh, to revive some things in our lives and to rebuild some things in our lives and to renew some things in our lives. And we talked about how to do that. We, we talked about how to start the new year right. And we're going to continue our study here in the book of Nehemiah. Last week we learned that Nehemiah, as we open our study of his book, was an exile. He was living away from his homeland. He was a captive. He was a, a slave, if you will. But though his body was in Babylon, we know that his heart was in Jerusalem. And when he found out how incredibly um, bad things were in Jerusalem, it crushed him. And in verse 4, if you're there in chapter 1, in verse 4 it says that he sat down and wept and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And it's Nehemiah's prayer and God's answer to his prayer that I want us to spend some time uh, studying today. Now, if someone were to ask me, Pastor, how does prayer work? I would have to be honest and say, I don't know how prayer works. What I do know is that prayer is work, and I know that those who work at prayer discover that prayer works. Now, before we get into Nehemiah's prayer, I, I really feel a need for us to, to come to an understanding about something this morning that is very important, and it's this. Prayer is not primarily about getting God to give us what we want. Prayer is not about bombarding heaven and pounding on God's door until we wear him out and he finally just gives up and gives us what we're asking for. Now, it's not that taking our needs to God is wrong. Not at all. God invites us to do that. As a matter of fact, he encourages us to do it. But that is not the primary reason why we should pray. The primary purpose of prayer is to fellowship with God. 
so we can know his heart and know his will and do his will. Now, I, I tried to figure out a way to illustrate this. And so, here's what I, here's what I came up with. We have any animal activists here this morning? This is not real. Okay? This is a pinata. And we, we all know how the, the whole pinata things work. It's filled with all kinds of goodies. You know, his brother Sid to come up and help me with this, and his insurance is paid up, and it's all good, so... I'll uh, have Brother Sid help me here. Pretty heavy. You may need to. Miranda, you want to come help him? No, I'm just kidding. We're going to let the pinata represent God. And we'll let this stick, this rod, represent prayer. And I'm going to represent the average Christian and their idea about prayer. In the average Christian's mind, prayer is about pounding God over and over and over again until we get what we want. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. And we just keep pounding and keep pounding. Until you have a mess that Sid has to clean up. Thank you, Brother Sid. I'm going to keep this pole here in case some of you try to come up here and get that candy. <laughs> Don't even think about it. I'm like the master security guard right here, okay? Now, how many of you have ever used a pinata at your child's birthday party or you've ever been somewhere where they've used one? Raise your hand, raise it high. Answer me this question. When that happens, do the kids run for the candy or for the pinata? The candy. They could care less about the pinata. It's not about the pinata. They don't want the pinata. They want what the pinata has to give them. They want the goodies. And so often that is our philosophy in prayer. We really don't care that much about God, but we love what he can do for us. And so we come to him and we want the goodies and we pray for the goodies and God do this and God do that. And then when God does it, it's like we're gone. Come on, we're gone. And God's left in our rearview mirror until we need him again and then we're right back at it 
God, give me this. God, give me that. And so we have to be careful this morning. Again, understand this. Asking is a valid part of prayer. But it's just that. It's a part. It's not the whole thing. And Nehemiah's prayer is just one prayer in the scriptures that illustrate the elements of effective prayer. And so I hope you're taking notes today, and I hope you'll write these down. There's, there's, there's six or seven, I can't rank six of them today, and we'll hustle through this. Number one, prayer should start with praise. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 5. Nehemiah learned, once he learned of the terrible conditions in Jerusalem, as I said a moment ago, it broke his heart, it crushed him, and it drove him to prayer. And here's his prayer. O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Nehemiah opens his prayer by praising God's position, the one that is in heaven. And he, he, he praises his power. He's, he's great and he's uh, awesome. He's terrible in the sense that he's, that he's awesome. He praised God's faithfulness. He praised God's mercy. As burdened as he was, Nehemiah did not just rush into a list of things that he wanted God to do for him and for his people. No, he started by praising God for who he is. Because God is worthy to be praised. But here's something else to consider not only does our praise show that we recognize who God is, but think about this. At least for a moment, it's going to take our attention off of what's burdening our heart. In essence, Nehemiah was saying this about God. I know who you are. And I know what you can do because you're great. You're awesome. You're the God of heaven. And so prayer should start with praise. Prayer should include confession. Continue, verse 6. Let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and here it is, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. 
I would submit to you this morning that the reason we continue with confession is because we began with praise. And here's what I mean by that. Anyone who, who begins their prayer with praise, recognizing who God is in all of His greatness and in all of His holiness, will not fail then to confess their sin because they will most surely recognize themselves in all of their unworthiness and in all of their unholiness. Note that Nehemiah said, I and my father's house have sinned. He didn't say, Lord, we know we've made a few mistakes along the way. Lord, we, 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 we know that, that we've really messed up. Let me help you with something this morning. God doesn't forgive excuses. He forgives sin. Not excuses. But I challenge you this morning to not stop with the word sin. I challenge you this morning to name your sin. Don't just throw a blanket statement out, God forgive me of all of my sin. No, no, let's get specific about it. And by the way, aren't you glad you don't have to go to a man to confess your sin? Let me just help you somewhere. There's not a man alive who can forgive you of your sin. Only God can forgive you of your sin. You don't have to come to me and, and, and hide your face and, and tell me all the evil, wicked, mean, bad, nasty things you've done. That's not even in the Bible. Jesus is our mediator. But we do need to incorporate confession of sin into our prayer time. And let's be specific about it. God, forgive me for those lustful thoughts. God, forgive me for lying. God, forgive me for cursing. God, forgive me for being hateful. God, forgive me for being jealous. God, forgive me for being bitter. Nehemiah didn't simply make a blanket confession of sin. He named every offense. Look at it. He confessed to corruption. He confessed to disobedience. He confessed to breaking God's law. He was very specific. Are you with me? Very specific. Let me give you a couple of verses to consider and I'll move on. Both in the New Testament, or one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. The first one is toward the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 where John wrote this. If we confess our sins... He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Note the word confess. That doesn't just mean to say, yeah, I did it. If you'll study the word confess there, it means to agree with God that what you did was sin. The other verse is Psalm 66 and verse 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me well pastor does that mean that that we can't pray unless our heart is sinless no not at all if that were the case none of us could could ever pray again the word regard there means to cherish 
or to defend. In other words, if I cherish and defend, if it's like this, God, I know I did this, but... God, I know I said this, but you know why I said it. If we're cherishing something and and we're not willing to fess up to it and own up to it, that it is indeed a transgression against God, whether we feel like it is or not, or whether we think like it or think it is or not, or whether our culture agrees that it's sin or not, is irrelevant. What matters is what does God say? And if you and I are going to... uh, 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 defend if we're going to cherish that then listen the bible says god's not going to hear us we've got to be honest with ourselves and with god the third principle of prayer and and one quite honestly that that i don't incorporate as much as i should though i have after being reminded of this principle i've really concentrated on this over the last couple of weeks it's this Prayer should incorporate God's word. So Nehemiah praised the Lord, he confessed his sin. And then I want you to notice this in verses 8 through 10. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. I love this. Nehemiah prayed God's word back to him. If you'll study it, he prayed that part to him from the books of Leviticus and and, and the, the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, where God said very clearly and very plainly to the children of Israel, if if you forsake me, I will scatter you. But if you return to me, I will gather you again. So, so preacher, is is God like forgetful? Uh, No. Listen, we we don't have to remind God what he said. Come on, we we don't have to remind, God is not forgetful. And Nehemiah, listen, here's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's saying this, God, I claim your promise. God, I believe that you will do what you said you will do. I believe you are who you say you are and that you answered prayer. And so, God, you said that if we left you, that you would would scatter us. But, God, you also said if we return to you, that you will gather us. And Nehemiah was claiming that promise. And here's what I would encourage you to do this morning, church. Find a promise that applies to your particular burden and need and situation currently in your life, find a promise in the Word of God and cling to it and pray that promise back to God. Let me give you an example. Many of you know that my brother and I were not raised in a Christian home. 
Our parents were not saved. I got saved at this church, in this church, at our old property in 1976. My brother got saved in 1977. And we began praying for our parents to get saved. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Now, I can't tell you how many times I prayed. I, I can't speak for my brother. I don't know how he prayed. But I can tell you how I prayed. My pastor shared this verse with me from the book of Romans chapter 10. It's in verse 17. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I prayed that prayer back or that verse back to God. God, you said that faith would come by hearing and that hearing would come by the word of God. So, Lord, would you please help me get my mom and dad in church as much as possible so they can come to faith in the word of God and be saved. God, you, you, you said that, that if, if somebody would, would hear your word, that they would come to faith. And, and so, God, would you give me an opportunity to speak the word of God, to speak the gospel into the life of my mom and dad? And I prayed that over and over and over again. And obviously, there are hundreds of promises in God's word. It doesn't matter what your situation in life is right now. There's a promise for you to claim and pray back to God. For example, James said, "If and this is in the context of, of being in a, in a time of real trial and tribulation in your life. And I mean, your life is just it's like a storm and, and you're being tossed and, and, and you don't know what to do. You, you got to make a decision, but you don't know what decision to make. Here's the promise from the word of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. God, you said in your word that, that when I don't know what to do and when I'm struggling, when I'm in a trial and a time of temptation in my life and I've got to make a decision and I don't know what make decision to make, God, you said that you would give me wisdom and you wouldn't make me feel bad for needing wisdom. And so, God, I confess to you right now, I need wisdom. Would you give me the wisdom that you promised? Maybe you're fearful and you're anxious and you're just overwhelmed with something in your life and you can't rest at night and, 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 and you're irritable and, 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 and you're, just, you're just fraught with worry. God said in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, that word means guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God, I am so anxious, and I am so fearful, and I am so overwhelmed, and God, I need peace. And you said in your word that you would give a peace that nobody would ever be able to understand. And God, I'm claiming that promise, and I'm praying this verse back to you. And God, I'm trusting you to honor your word. Are you with me? Pray back to God his word. Now, Here's the catch. In order to pray the Word of God, you have to know the Word of God. And in order to know the Word of God, you've got to read it. How many times has myself or Pastor Tyler or, or somebody else stood behind this pulpit and, and talked about reading the Bible and praying? 
reading the Bible and praying. Why do we always put those two together? Because they go together. You cannot pray the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God, and you cannot know the Word of God unless you're in the Word of God. I promise you that if you will read your rooted devotional every day this this year, you're going to find some promises in there. And you're going to find the right promise at the right time in your life, and you're going to be able to begin praying that, that word, that promise, back to God. So prayer should start with praise. It should include confession. It should incorporate God's word. Here's the fourth one. I like this. Prayer doesn't give up. Now, if you're not careful, you might miss this in the book of Nehemiah. Verse 1, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. Now that seems pretty irrelevant, but it's really not when you put it with Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. If you want to look back there, here's what it says. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu. I didn't point this out earlier. Nissen would be equivalent to our April. Okay, the Jewish month Nissen would be uh, uh, comparable to our month April. Here is where we begin to learn about Nehemiah, and it's the month Kislu, which would be equivalent to our December. So here's the point. Nehemiah learned about the broken down and fallen condition of Jerusalem in December. And he prayed for four months. Month after month after month and nothing changed. He was still an exile in Babylon and Jerusalem was still broken down. It wasn't until four months later And you read with me earlier, in in an earlier verse, he prayed day and night for four months for God to intervene and for God to do something. And God finally did it. Let's go back to the story of my brother and I. I got saved, I received the Lord in 1976. I immediately began praying for my mom and dad. I can't tell you how many times I prayed for my parents. I mean, month after month, year after year, service after service, I would pray. And nothing ever changed. Nothing ever happened. Until one Sunday morning in 1989, I was actually at the front during the invitation praying. My brother's first wife, who's now passed away and gone to heaven, I remember she came and she knelt beside me and she put her arm around my shoulder and she said, Bill, look who's here. And I looked and it was my mom. Thirteen years later, 
15 years of praying and asking God to do something incredible in the life of my mom and dad. For 13 years, we prayed that. And in 1989, God answered that prayer. And in July of 2001, I had the privilege of sitting at my dad's kitchen table in Tyrone and opening the Word of God and sharing with him the gospel again. And that night, my dad got saved. Now, you do the math. 1976, 2001 is 25 years. I don't know who you're praying for this morning. I don't know what you're praying about this morning. Don't quit. Do not give up. Do not lose faith. Because I'm telling you, prayer doesn't quit. It wasn't four months for me. It was 13 years and another 12 years, 25 years for my dad. But God heard and answered our prayers. Prayer doesn't quit. Number five, prayer needs to be coupled with plans. Now here's what I mean by that. Chapter 2, we'll not read it, but chapter 2 continues with how God answered Nehemiah's prayer. In his conversation with the king, the Lord created an opportunity for Nehemiah to share his burden about the broken down condition of Jerusalem. And in verse 4, the king asked Nehemiah what he wanted him to do. And here's Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto, unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. Do you see it? Nehemiah didn't say to the king, Hey, would you send some men to Jerusalem? to rebuild the wall and repair the gates no nehemiah said king send me so i can build it so here's my point real quick if you're convinced that there's a problem if there's something in your life that has driven you to your knees in prayer then listen to me you need to be surrendered to god to be a part of the solution it's easy to pray, Lord, do this, Lord, bless that, Lord, help him, Lord, deliver her, Lord, fix this situation. But, but what if we heard a voice from heaven saying, you know, Bill, you just prayed and asked me to do five things. I wonder what my response would be if he, if he answered me and said this. You're the answer to four of them. So here's what I mean. If we're going to pray for God to save someone, then we have to be willing to be the voice that God uses to speak the gospel into their life. If a husband or wife is going to pray for God to save their marriage, to fix their marriage, to help their marriage, 
then are you willing to be the one that God uses? Are you willing to be the one that changes first? Fair enough. Our prayer needs to be coupled with, with a willingness to serve. And finally, I'll close with this. I think I saved the best for last. And it's simply this. Prayer asks God to do great things. But pastor, you said that we shouldn't ask God for No, 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 no. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. What I said was that prayer is not the primary, or excuse me, asking is not the primary purpose of prayer. It is a part of prayer. And God welcomes that, and God invites that. But there are other things, as we've seen this morning, that need to be incorporated into our prayer time. But listen to me, when we do get there, when we do get to that part, hey, listen, let's pray big things. Let's ask God for great things, like Nehemiah did. Here was his prayer, O oh Lord, I beseech thee. That word means I beg, I plead with you. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Here it is, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man? The king. King Artaxerxes. And note the word mercy there. It's a, in the Hebrew, it means womb. So, so here's what Nehemiah was asking God to do. He was asking him to move on the king's heart in such a way that he would see him in the same way that a mother would see the son or daughter of her womb. Now here's why that's a big deal. Because remember, remember, Nehemiah was an exile. Nehemiah was a prisoner. Nehemiah was a slave. He had no rights. He had no privileges. And yet he was going to ask this king, this ruler who he served, to have mercy on him. Kings don't have mercy on servants. They don't have mercy on slaves. They don't have mercy on exiles. I mean, what in the world was Nehemiah praying? I'll tell you, he was praying for God to do something big. He was praying for God to do something huge. And he believed that God, that God could do it. And he knew in his heart that, that God would have to do it if he was ever going to have the opportunity to leave Babylon. And if you'll read verses 6, 7, and 8 of Nehemiah chapter 2, it's so awesome. The king not only granted him permission to go back to Jerusalem or to go to Jerusalem, listen to this, but he also made sure Nehemiah had everything he needed to get the job done. It's a slave. 
He's a servant. He's not even a Babylonian. He's a Jew. The Babylonians despised the Jews. They overran the Jews and took them hostage and treated them as, as, as slaves. But God, because Nehemiah dared to ask something big, God honored that prayer. And he not only gave him permission to go, but he sent letters with him that he was to give to people for the lumber and for the metal and for the tools and for all of the things that he was going to need to get the job done. Reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. My life verse is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. But this is a really close second. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Can we read this out together, out loud together this morning? It's on the screen. Everybody look at it. Everybody read it together. Come on. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now unto him, the God of heaven, the, the one that we sang to this morning and lifted up and praised and exalted to him who is able. Able to do what? Bigger things than you could even start to pray. Bigger things than you could even think to pray to God. Listen, the Bible says God can do that and even more, exceeding abundantly more. I want to share some of my favorite quotes with you about prayer this morning. I hope they'll encourage you. First one's from an old Baptist preacher from years gone by. His name is Vance Habner. And he said this, too many times we miss so much because we live on the low level of the natural, the ordinary, the explainable. We leave no room for God to do the exceeding abundant thing above all that we ask or think. What's he saying? He's saying this, our prayers are too small. And we're just satisfied to live on this, this normal, mundane, um, run-of-the-mill level when God wants us to pray big prayers and, and give him room to do big things. And then there's this from J. Andrew Murray. He said, beware in your prayers above everything else of limiting God. Not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we ask or think. <laughs> and then I'll close with these words. This is one of my favorites. Philip Brooks said, pray the largest prayer. You cannot think a prayer so large that God, in answering it, will not wish you had made it bigger. 
So you bring this thing to God, and, and God says, is that all you got? Is that it? Come on, man, I'll do that, but I want to do bigger things. I want to do greater things. Now listen, I'm not just trying to be a cheerleader today. I'm trying to be honest with you that God can do greater things than you could even begin to think. In your business, in your home, in your body, with your wayward children, with your financial needs, I'm telling you, he can do it. So let's recap real quick. We'll be done. Prayer starts with praise. Not only does our praise show that we realize who God is and we honor God for who he is, but it also, at least for a moment, takes our mind off of the burdens of the day. Secondly, prayer should include confession. Remember, God doesn't forgive excuses. He forgives sin. Prayer should incorporate God's word. Find a promise that applies to your particular life right now, your situation in life right now. Find a promise that fits that and pray it back to God. Claim it as true, believing God honors his word, and pray it back to God. Prayer doesn't quit. Prayer doesn't give up. Again, I don't know, I don't know what you're praying about this morning. I don't know how long you've been praying for it, but don't quit. Don't quit. And then be ready. Be surrendered enough to God to be part of the answer to your own prayer. And then this. Ask God for big things. What is the biggest thing that you could possibly ask God for right now in your life? Don't say it out loud. Think about it. I'm talking the biggest thing that God could do for you right now. And then look at me. Give me your eyes. God can do more. God can do bigger than that. God can do greater than that. Believe that. Because he says it in his word. Would you pray with me today?